Hello everyone, welcome back to a podcast of one's own. We are back for the second half of our series and today we are joined by the whole committee. We wanted to say hello again quickly before we start talking about our topic for this episode which is ecofeminism and more on that later. But first, welcome back team. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Oh, <laughs> so to be back. Yes, Esther, how was your holidays? How were your holidays? <laughs> Great um, and weird. Yeah. Uh, I was back home in Sweden, uh, so it was really nice to be able to visit the family, but um, restrictions have gone down there as well. So um, it was it was very low-key uh, just hanging out with the family, but I, was, I, f- I felt happy and grateful for the fact that I could even do that. So it was... It was nice. Everything being closed down, there weren't much to do. And I remember one—I mean, one day my mom was just saying, like, she was just sighing. We were all sitting on the sofa, and she was like, "Well, should we just all agree that we are a bit bored?" <laughs> and we were like, "Yeah, <laughs> we love that we can hang out, but we we got a bit bored, but it was nice." That's good. That's good. Before going into January, as it's been, um, the holidays were actually really good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Callum, what about you? Pretty chill as well. <laughs> Not much done. Had a lot of snow though, so that's been good. Still have a lot of snow around us. Oh, yeah, I suppose that's one thing. (laughs) Even if you're stuck inside, you can look outside and it looks pretty. (laughs) One thing. Uh, Aurora is showing us her snow on Zoom. Aurora, how how is it in Germany? How are you doing? Um, Well, I'm mostly inside. no, but I mean, um, I spent the Christmas holidays here. I'm still here because traveling at the moment is a little bit tricky. And to be fair, I will only be inside in Edinburgh anyway. So what's the big difference? Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a lot to do over Christmas because I'm doing my honors project at the moment. So I'm losing my mind. But apart from that, it was pretty good. <laughs> but you had snow. so yes. I mean, it, it comes and goes. But every once in a while we have snow, then it melts all off again. And overnight it snowed again. So we have lots of days. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes. Silver lining. That's good. Um, I was the same. I had a chill, uh, socially distant Christmas, i.e. I was myself. And everyone says, oh, that's so sad when I say that. But I still have my Christmas dinner to look forward to. I may have it in June, but <laughs> I'll have it. My parents have promised. This is what I feel like is going to happen after pandemic time is over, or at least a little bit less intense everyone's gonna we're, we're gonna have like backed up celebrations to do mm. everyone's birthday is gonna have to have re re birthdays redo the birthdays yeah uh, it reminded me of when people say like oh this weekend's my birthday weekend or this is my birthday week they a- you actually have to <laughs> next take year is gonna week. be like this next year is gonna be my birthday year <laughs> every <laughs> single day is celebrating uh does anyone have any new year's resolutions that you share or I don't know. I always do it. I always sit down with my journal and I do it. Mm. But then it's like, um, I don't. I don't always bring it with me throughout the entire year. But it's. I try to set some some little intentions. But this year it's been mainly like just allowing myself to go with the flow, because <laughs> I know for a fact that there's a very it's there's a hard limit to what we can uh, sort of control this year, and uh, so I'm trying to trying to just be open to whatever happens and 
relax in that. That's my my main very chill New Year's resolution. <laughs> That's good. I found my resolutions for last year and one of them was to travel more and I <laughs> you have to laugh. <laughs> if you don't laugh you'll cry. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the trips that got cancelled for me last year and some of them that I'm still waiting for refunds for, you know. <sighs> Oh yeah, I harassed Ryanair. I was like, "Give me my money." <laughs> I don't even need a cancelled flight to harass Ryanair. I just feel like I need to. <laughs> I know. Unrelated. Called for. Okay, so next question is just like a little teaser for the sessions ahead. Does anyone have a session that you're particularly excited about? You can say one that you're doing yourself if you want. I mean, I'm doing the women in STEM next week. So quite excited for that, partly because I'm really excited to have it over, <laughs> but, also, <laughs> but also because like, I think it's a really interesting subject and because I want to go into STEM myself. I mean, some people count psychologists STEM. I definitely do. Yeah, I do. Um, sure. Yeah, it depends a bit on how much I think you go into the neuro part of it, because I'm more interested in the neuro and computing mixing of psychology anyway, so that's more of a STEM thing. So I'm quite interested in that. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, if I could, I would also, I would probably say the one that we're going to talk about today, because that's my baby. Yeah. Uh, that's my <laughs> the thing. I, just, I don't know. I was so excited about the fact that we've had that uh, session. But the other ones, I think I really actually look forward to masculinity and mental health. Uh, I think it's one of those topics that we have discussed in, in FemSoc before, but uh, time always moves so quickly, and it was a few years ago. And I think it's something that is definitely is just becoming more and more relevant and more and more sort of important to always make sure that we talk about this whenever we talk about feminism and talk about that aspect of it as well. I'm all excited to do the local app because I'm a bit scared of hosting another session by myself. <laughs> Whereas with the low one, I'll have a Kaylee and a, obviously the Law Society, which is quite interesting. Well, the law, the collab that we've done with the Law Society, Law and Moding Society before was so successful and I really, like, I think that's going to be really good. They're, they're great to work with. Um, those will be in February and March. I mean, STEM's next week, but the other ones we just spoke about will be... Oh, I can't wait for that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do an episode on that as well where I can um, pick out Aurora's brains later <laughs> that, that. that's that's hard not gonna I lie that I tried to do that with my brain <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah like esther said our most recent session and the first one of the semester was about ecofeminism and climate justice and all those kind of things and we asked why is the climate crisis a feminist issue basically. And so this session was in collaboration with Sustainable Society, who share a lot of information and conversation around similar issues. So if you're interested in that, you can check them out on their socials. Uh, they will also be in the description of the podcast and we'll share it on our socials as well. And our president, Esther, was the one who presented the chunk of this session. And she is extremely passionate about this topic and very knowledgeable. So we're going to quiz her or pick her brains. I'm just going to keep with that expression. Even though it could be. <laughs> but um, yeah, quiz her a bit further to just catch up on details. So if you didn't see the session, then don't worry. We're not just going to like throw random stuff at you. And we can explore some concepts a little further. So 
First question, Esther. Can you give us a definition or like a summary of what ecofeminism is and what got you interested in this topic? That's what I want to know. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, so ecofeminism, I think uh, it's always difficult with all these political movements to give a very succinct sort of definition because as I mentioned in the uh, in the session, there are several sub-branches of ecofeminism that can be quite different from each other, but what sort of keeps them uh, similar, what, what's the broad definition of, I guess, the, the ecofeminism tree uh, is essentially, it's a political um, and philosophical sort of ideology that analyzes relationships between humans and nature uh, through the perspective that also takes gender into account. So it brings together, basically puts a feminist perspective onto the eco-politics of, of the deep ecology movement. Um, it's, a, it's a movement that is critical of capitalist and patriarchal hierarchies uh, and essentially um, argues that these uh, hierarchical um, relationships between nature and humans and between men and women are um, are very similar and sort of um, and very related. So when did you start getting interested in ecofeminism? Was it like a specific module or book or? Um, I So I study uh, animal and conservation biology and now I'm in fourth year and what happened was I, it was not a specific module that got me into it. We there's definitely been like a few mentions of you know gender equality is important for us to move towards a better relationship with nature, but that's more um, that that's like slightly different. Like I sort of came into it from being like extremely interested in feminism and also extremely interested in the environmentalist movement. So for me, it happened quite organically that I started seeing these things as the same problem. Um, and then I came across the, I can't remember exactly when, must have been maybe a couple of years ago, uh, the term ecofeminism. And I was kind of like, oh, this actually sounds too good to be true. <laughs> this sounds like exactly everything that I care about. Um, and yeah, then I just started reading and it came, it seemed very sort of intuitive to me. Everything that I uh, read or most of the things, like like I said, some of the sub branches have um, some, some beliefs that I don't really think that I don't really agree with, but which is fine. But, um, you know, when you find something that you're really interested in and everything just makes sense that you read about it. To me, it, there wasn't, there were very few things that I felt like I needed to challenge. And I read the book Ecofeminism by uh, Vandana Shiva and Maria Mais. And it's essentially like a collection of their essays on different aspects that bring together women's oppression and, um, like nature destruction uh, very 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 nicely and that gave me sort of the foundation to explore it further. I think the first time that I heard about it or at least heard the term about it was in a module in third year and it was called narratives of nature and it wasn't my first choice to be honest and when I went in it started off like really flowery and we read 
Tessa of the Durbervilles or whoever, uh, and a lot of like Nan Shepherd and uh, poems about mountains. And I thought, I just, oh, okay. But uh, then they introduced this like concept about how the way we maybe put up like a wall between us and nature or look at nature is very similar to how um, like different people look at each other. And the example yeah. they use is like, if if you put a woman up on a pedestal and objectify her and treat her a certain way, okay, you're calling her a goddess and mm. over-sexualized and doing all these things. It's not deemed negative as in like destructive to her physical body but what you're doing is like creating that divisiveness even further so it's not actually positive and then if you do the same thing with you know like oh mother earth will look after us she's so um amazing and self-healing and we are at her beck and call but actually you don't do anything positive it's like leading to the destructiveness um yeah that's that's yeah that stuck with me from that module at least I mean, that is one of the sort of pillars that make it such a complex issue right now, I think, as well. Um, sorry, I'm just going to jump off of that for a little side <laughs> side yeah. thing. But um, one of the things that I mentioned in the session about how we romanticize nature, uh, which is related to the like colonial um, history we have of um, in the West of romanticizing things that we want to have power over, or that we take power over and then we sort of have to bear this burden of destroying the things that we also romanticize and uh, dream about. Um, Yeah, super interesting. It is, definitely. You mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, deep ecology. Can you tell us the difference between that and ecofeminism or how they differ? Yeah. Uh, deep ecology is another um, political movement or sort of um, environmentalist ideology that came sort of it was born in the 19 late late 60s into the 70s and um, uh, a lot of it was there was a lot of things happening at the same time there was the publication of the book Silent Spring kind of detailing the massive negative effects that um, pesticides had on nature and ecosystems and then at the same time we were kind of getting out into space and uh, getting all the photos of planet earth from outside of the atmosphere for the first time and kind of sparked this movement as um you know this is the place that we have to take care of that actually can fairly suffer a lot from what we do to it Uh, and then obviously greenpeace was founded in the 70s and the early 70s and then it's kind of snowballs from there but it's it's a movement that basically takes the standpoint that humans are the problem and <laughs> um, we are uh, they, they argue that the survival of any separate part is dependent on the health of the whole system so some people will talk about for example the Gaia hypothesis which is essentially that we need to treat and see earth the planet as one big living organism that we can't we can't survive independently if this whole organism isn't healthy and so moving from an ecocentric from an anthropocentric point of view and value system which is human-centered to an ecocentric point of view 
And I think the most important part of the movement is that it is uh, and sort of anti-capitalist. Uh, it identifies capitalism as one of the main forces that destroy nature. Um, and and as mentioned before, sort of the commodification of nature uh, is what is actually uh, endangering the health of the planet. That's that's the the main principles of deep ecology. I still feel, though, sometimes we do hear examples of people blaming individuals or like certain uh, certain people for things that are just not like their problem. And the, um, I think there was an episode of the Yikes podcast where they talked about um, overpopulation and oh, yeah. um, in conversations about climate justice or climate uh, change, um, this idea that like, oh, well, the world's just overpopulated. Um, yep. if we just stop populating or, you know, yeah, and control, gen- you know, public population control. I think so. Um, deep ecologists tend to be quite a, a white field of um, activists. Uh, and a lot of them argue that population control is one way in which we can uh, take care of nature the best way. And a lot of them argue, uh, unfortunately, that, um, we need to control populations in areas of the world where where um, civilization hasn't gotten, quote unquote, gotten as far. Um, it, it, the global south, for example, that, 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 that is where we need to control populations because they use, uh, they burn energy inefficiently, for example, and that's a hazard to the planet. When in fact, it's actually the West the thriving capitalist West that is um, contributing the most to climate change. And so first of all, it's it's really unfair to put the blame there, but then it's also missing the whole point of the fact that it's not necessarily overpopulation. It's not humans as a monolith that's the problem. And this is the big difference between deep ecology and ecofeminism. Ecofeminism argues that it's not humans at per se, that it's not us as a species that are the problem. It's the patriarchal capitalist society that we have and the hierarchical thinking that we have that is the problem. Um, so ecofeminist, the ecofeminist movement um, argues that um, deep ecology is a little bit too shallow and that it doesn't acknowledge fully that the domination of nature occurs um, as part of this broader structure uh, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way and overpopulation population control is not going to it's not going to help if unless we unless we fix the system that is that's um actually the culprit yeah a lot of that comes through even in sort of more local areas of trying to tackle um the climate crisis and things like that I, you just think for years and years it was just a case of you know, recycle, don't buy so much plastic, don't do this, do this, and on to the individual, um, and th- um, buy sustainably. And then over time, you notice a lot of like fast fashion brands, for example, and like capitalist monsters, greenwashing. And is that the correct term in this? Um, yeah, well, if they, um, if they come out and say that they have like, this is our sustainable brand, like, uh, or, you know, I don't know, um, 
like H&M, choose yeah yeah like the conscious collection or the green the green line or whatever like if they they do things like that they actually like advertise that they're uh, being sustainable that i would in many many most cases for uh, when it comes to like big corporations would count as greenwashing because in fact uh they're not making efforts that are big enough to to turn into a net positive outcome it might be slightly better than before but they're still like wreaking absolute havoc on not just the environment but also on the people that work in their factories and in the supply chains and most of them are women and people of color um so that's it it ties into that as well and i think what you mentioned like the whole start of the conversation with uh, putting the responsibility onto the individual is something that happens a lot right now like people do talk about you know keep recycling turn your lights off all of these things that are kind of i guess we have a little bit more of a critical view on it now than maybe a few years ago but i still think that a lot of shaming is happening there's a lot of like i don't know pointing fingers at individuals when in fact like Jeff Bezos maybe needs to needs to do some thinking maybe shell uh, needs to rethink their their entire philosophy and operating like these are all these massive big corporations that are actually the ones that are extracting essentially extracting the health out of all systems and just making the um the disparities between groups of, of humans as well bigger and bigger and i think it's really unfair to put that on individuals although i think that we should be doing what we can um placing the blame on an individual is is also unfair because that is classist uh to start uh, ableist as well if we want to um set the bar for like acceptable and political correctness to be to never use any plastic that doesn't work for a lot of people that rely on um, disposable Thank like straws you. and yeah so I th- I definitely think that there are, there are parts of these movements that can be very uh, exclu- like excluding and um ableist and racist as well uh, not considering for example cultural cuisines if you want to say that everyone needs to go vegan it's also um not disregarding cultures that need to be protected and that deserve to be protected and also you know the sheer cost of it um of buying vegan food it can be cheap but it can also be extremely expensive and inaccessible so there's so many layers to it um i think personally that's what kind of put me off the movement to start with because i thought it was you know like this bit the stereotypical image that movies or TV shows would give out in the past is, you know, like eco movements were all like happy guys with long hair that didn't wash their feet yeah. and wear like peace sign t-shirts and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah, um, exactly. And they're like, I don't eat anything that casts a shadow. I don't um, do any of this. And you're like, that's just not, I can't, well, I can't do that. Like, okay, I thought I was yeah. doing okay with recycling my plastic, but apparently yeah. not. But um, and, then, and, so um, t- and that's so typical because then like it instills this guilt in people that yeah. they're the ones that are to blame. Like I'm not doing enough when in fact like I'm stuck mm-hmm. in a system that requires me to do all these things that keep harming nature, but 
essentially I don't really have that much of a choice yeah there is like a level I think though where it's like the conversations that have happened a few god time doesn't even exist anymore I can't remember when it was um it's like conversations about fast fashion were going around and how well we need some fast fashion because really poor people or single mothers or whatever they need pre-mark for clothes for example um mm. and then they're like you can't hate them for needing that and it's not really hating those people it's or hating anybody it's being critical of like why the they are... forces them to have to go and buy their stuff there well yeah. like why why did why can they not afford clothes from all the other more sustainable places that is the problem that we need to be looking at I still feel guilty sometimes if I need to order something online but then I'm like I can't be that bad either way you know you're ordering certain yeah things. I mean there's always I, I there's got to be it's a scale of good to bad I guess it's not like black and white I do I do I I wouldn't say that it's a good <laughs> it's a good thing to do to sit and order 700 pounds worth of uh and I don't know, pretty little thing clothes. Uh, I don't think that's good for the environment. I don't think that's good for our um, economic system or for anything really. But if people need to buy clothes, they should buy them where they can. Uh, and our efforts as activists need to be focused on you know, the root of the issue. Uh, I find a lot of um, sort of shallow feminism you know like white feminism for example that this notion that it, it it's helpful to put women into positions of power i'm not against i'm not against the idea of women in power but if they're in power in a in a in a in the, the same system that's going to help that one individual maybe but it's not going to help any other women it's not going to help anyone it's not actually going to make a, a change so what you were saying the term ecofeminism can come across as something that's a little bit more maybe unattainable, like a utopian type of, like people are just being very idealist, uh, idealistic thinking about what's possible. But I think it's um, it's actually a movement that can be that's very anchored in like grass, grassroots democracy and uh, uh, and sort of tackling deeper problems, especially like economically as well being more proponent of like a circular economy that's locally based that doesn't mean that someone from the western world is extracting resources and money essentially like leaching out the the resources that exist somewhere else in the world and making that place poor um yeah could you sum up why we need intersectional environmentalism i think we've already kind of brought that up already but you've mentioned for instance that a lot of black indigenous people of color women disabled people etc those are the groups that are adversely affected by the climate crisis and as you say a lot of the time people maybe put one person up on a pedestal and say look what they're doing isn't this great but actually it doesn't help loads of other people so yeah looking at that movement what do you think about it um I definitely think it's really important and actually ecofeminism, I think it should be said that as a movement, it has been criticized for being quite white. Personally, I don't think that the the values and the, I mean, 
this is where it comes in where it's important to sort of distinguish between the separate branches as well and who is giving it who is writing and who whose content are you consuming because there's going to be a lot of it but um the essential principles of ecofeminism do take into account these different issues but if if you don't take ecofeminism as deep as it can go then it can easily become like the the alternative the, the sort of um the white feminism of eco white ecofeminism or whatever so i think intersectionality in this is extremely important especially when it comes to um climate issues because there there's going to be not just because people get ostracized for not doing what they can for the environment when in fact maybe they can't because of class issues or race issues or um all these things coming together uh it's also the fact that like actually when the environment is changing when it comes to like hazards that can happen like natural disasters flooding uh, lack of resources um soil degradation when uh, agricultural traditions and you know people rely on land to to give them food when they're living subsistence based lives uh, which is probably already quite you know um it's already infested by uh, national corporate like globalist corporations that are trying to already sort of attacking these local farmers um trying to get a profit out of what's actually their livelihood that they need hand you know hand to mouth basically like uh when when the environment um degrades that that actually ruins like directly their um ability to survive and feed their families and this is something that's not uh, equally affecting people of different races and in different areas of the world for example and disproportionately affects the global south and uh people in poorer communities in cities as well and people that don't have the opportunities that they can't relocate uh, or they can't um invest money in alternative products you know all of these things that come together so i think intersectional approaches absolutely absolutely vital biodiversity essentially um and that it's not something that can be overlooked when we talk about justice because uh, like we can understand from a theoretical point of view that yes okay we shouldn't be ruining the the climate or whatever but loss of biodiversity as one effect of climate change um is is a big problem that's it's a development problem because it undermines goals um most of the UN sustainable development goals uh loss of natural resources also creates a lot of conflict and you know has created civil wars and unrest and that's a security issue global security issue um it's an economical issue if we want to take it to that place <laughs> you know it's a it's got significant economic value and that's something that we need to um take into account um it's also just like an ethical and moral problem but when we try through sort of industrialization and since the enlightenment movement like since the enlightenment period basically to make ourselves independent of nature essentially like this emancipation from our humanly 
needs um, making ourselves into some sort of uh, develop, developed gods. Uh, it doesn't it just doesn't work. <laughs> That's essentially another bottom line of ecofeminism that um, you want to and deep ecology in that sense. Uh, rec- we need to reckon with the fact that we're actually, in fact, not gods, and we do still rely on a healthy planet, and we can't transcend that in any way. And in order for, especially if we want to bring feminism and you know women's liberation into this movement, we have to um, we be wary. I, th- I think it's interesting to talk about terminology always, um, and specifically using the words of or concepts of freedom as opposed to emancipation so emancipation would still if if women were to be emancipated in the same way as men has been have been uh, then that would necessitate that they still have power over something else and in that case it would be mm-hmm. still would be power over nature or power over other um other groups of women so black indigenous or people of color, or in you know indigenous communities, um, so I think, especially because the word I, I find this very interesting, especially because the word emancipation is used quite a lot in social justice sort of uh, activism and talk, and I've used it myself. But we can't really be emancipated from Earth. So in this in this particular framework, we have to talk more about freedom within the limits that exist. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's where we'll end. <laughs> You've made me think about how like politicized conversations around climate have been, especially with um, like Brexit and the um, the idea of like Scottish independence coming up and things. It's it's became like a political party's sort of buzzword to say these things. Like, oh, we'll be net zero from twenty forty. We'll have electric cars will have this and that so vote for us instead of you know um, we're going to do this because if we don't the world's going to be on fire in five years or something and And I think a lot of talk as well when it comes to like social justice a lot of talk of like helping um, the global south to kind of catch up development wise uh, when in fact you know like there's no such thing there's the world can't catch up to the way that the West is consuming and extracting resources right now. That's just not going to work. We're already past that point. So we need to figure out how we can like globally all together live in a subsistent, like in a sustainable kind of way. So the idea that, that um, it will help like fix inequalities for, for places that, that aren't as industrialized as the West to be, to become that, that's also just a big, big illusion. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I honestly, I sound like a boomer sometimes, but I'm like, the world has went too far. There's, <laughs> Amazon has went too far. The internet has went too far. Yeah. We, don't, we don't need all these things. And Yeah, let me live in a cottage <laughs> in the woods exactly. with my friends and never, never be in a city again. Edinburgh is a kind of an inter- interesting place to look at because it's, old you see history all the time but then there's all these bouts of like um the city spreading out to accommodate uh new people and like new capitalist means and etc etc but they then want to have 
car free streets and car free like make basically like make it like exactly that's the i'm like "Mm, maybe if you just again we've like gotten to the point where we feel like we're not getting we don't feel fulfilled by this industrialized lifestyle and so we then romanticize a more natural way of living Mm -hmm. and then we get that by selling it Mm -hmm. as a sort of capitalist product rather than actually taking care of the planet and letting the the natural places be natural yeah it's like oh you want to get out of the city go up to um Inverness and live in a cottage which we have you know, yeah for like four thousand pounds a weekend exactly and we've instead of using old buildings we've like stripped the land and like probably bought a hundred farms to make that happen yeah and it's it's, uh, it's wild how expensive it is to like travel by train for example um i've i i don't know it's it should be so much cheaper than flights but it's not which makes it inaccessible again to be the hashtag sustainable queen you know (laughs) i know it's just if you're a student wanting adventure and you have the choice of going on a plane or some like to asia wherever or i don't know like a euro trail trip you're gonna pick asia if it's gonna be cheaper yeah and a lot of people just don't think of like the the consequences or the repercussions of that on yeah and i mean not that it's great to buy a bunch of flights obviously we have to be considerate when in what we choose to do like do we need to go but then at the same time um it's it's it is not the individual's fault that that the economy looks that way do you know what i mean um, it's it's a thin line. It's it's difficult. It's difficult. But one one aspect of um, I guess sort of to round round up the discussion about around ecofeminism as well is and sort of tie it to the women in STEM session next week um, is this notion that in order to move forward, we need to be listening to these groups that are disproportionately affected, and that actually because they are. Uh, negatively affected in a different way than um, you know white um, men um, they also ha- they don't only they're not only more negatively affected they also have a lot more knowledge uh, from because it's been like this for so long uh, for hundreds of years for thousands of years when, it, when we're talking patriarchy so a lot of especially traditional communities and uh, when it comes to, you know, preserving uh, nature and habitats that we listen to the indigenous communities and the women there that have substantial knowledge of what the nature there needs and what it relies on and how to take care of it and not just sort of run in with um, industrialized globalist um, goals and try to, to figure it out by by you know, thinking through it, we need to invite these people to sit at the table to make the decisions. Um, and women will is, will have to be at the table. Um, Vandana Shiva, I um, I really just love this quote. So I'm going to say it again, like I did in the session. But Vandana Shiva is definitely a person that you'd want to check out if you want to learn more about ecofeminism. She's uh, there. I, there's barely anything she's not talked about when it comes to this. Um, but uh, she says uh, nicely we'll either have a future where women lead the way to make peace with the earth or we won't have a future at all 
and it's kind of related to maybe the the written quote by Audre Lorde saying that the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Like it has to come from a different a different place in order to actually tackle a big system. It can't come from within the system. People say as well, what's the quote? There is no ethical consumption under capitalism. That's thrown out a lot and it's almost like a joke, but it is quite true. Like you say, we don't, as consumers, we don't always have that choice. Certain people always, always don't have that choice. So, yeah. yeah. And I think anti-capitalist kind of chat will come up again and again in future sessions. Uh, yeah. We have not heard the end of that. Definitely old, not. Little chestnut. But um, I think, what time are we at? Yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there. I know we'd love to chat about this a lot more, but I know that Zoom and Spotify have limits, as does my Wi-Fi. So <laughs> to wrap up, eh, I want to thank yeah. Esther, first of all, for organising that amazing session and then talking to us again about it. And thank you, thank you for listening to me <laughs> <laughs> twice. <laughs> I'll do it again. No, it's so great. And thank you, Callum and Aurora, our audience, for just being the most wonderful little exec team you've ever done seen. Uh, I'm so looking forward to our sessions next, especially our women in STEM one. And it's out, yeah. so you have to do it. You can't back out now. <laughs> As always, if you want to comment on or share what we do, you can find us at FemSock Napier on all of our platforms. We'll be back with our next episodes in a little while where we will be talking again about sciencey stuff with Aurora and her topic about women in STEM so until then please take care stay safe wear your masks don't talk to strangers I don't know don't catch a cold and we'll see you in the next one goodbye bye